Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, the book of James. What's the tagline? That's right, how to spot a phony Christian. And as crazy as that sounds, we've been seeing the last seven times, the book of James is not the only book that talks about this in the Bible. This is not a foreign concept in the scripture that believe it or not, there's going to be fakers in your midst. Of course, Judas Iscariot was the biggest example of that. We see in the New Testament, certainly in the Gospels. But the good news is God doesn't just tell us that this is a reality that you might very well have a faker sitting next to you, okay? The good news is he doesn't just tell us that. He tells us how to spot them so that we can hopefully deal with them, okay? So that you don't become flooded with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus Christ. And then not only they begin to permeate the church, uh, but then they get behind the pulpit and then it goes downhill from there. Well, what's the problem? We ain't doing that. We are not doing that. And I truly believe this is part of the reason why we're experiencing in the church today such a massive apostasy. These people have now gone into the pulpit, onto church boards, teaching Sunday school classes, and they still don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you wonder why things are so messed up. And you're going, well, how could this be? Because we're not being Bereans anymore. We're not taking the biblical standards serious, learning how to spot these fakers in the midst so we can deal with them so we could stay pure. But that's right, not at Sunrise Bible Church. We're going to do it. We're going to continue that journey. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, again. And let's take a look at the book of James and why did he write it? And uh, how do we know if there's, quote, a faker in your midst? Okay, well, we're going to see some of these opportunities there. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And of course, James, as you turn there, was written by? James. Who needs an internship program? You guys are genius. I mean, this is amazing, right? James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says this. James, a servant of who? God. And of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Can you really say that right now in your walk with Jesus Christ if you can't get back on track? Okay. Then he says, to who? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations at that point, the early church. Greetings. And then verse 2 says, consider what? Not just joy, what? Pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds, that's right. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. You may be seated if you can there. How many of you guys want to be a mature Christian? How many of you guys want to be a Christian that's so mature you don't lack anything? You're armed to the teeth no matter what this world throws at you. Man, you're, isn't that awesome? Woohoo! Now turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials. Right? <laughs> Because that's one of the great things that he's going to do. But we've been seeing, okay, let's go ahead and let's Greek out a little bit there. The English is focused on two and three there. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that testing your faith develops perseverance. Well, here's what the Greek literally says. Consider it a matter for unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. Whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you. Why? Because you're knowing experientially that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test has been approved. Here's the payoff that this approving process produces a what? A patience which bears up and does not lose heart or courage under trials. Wouldn't that be great to have? Well, you can say it again. Repetition increases remembrance. That's right. Bring on the trials. Okay. That's what he's saying there. Okay, is the payoff, okay? Now, again, back in the context here, James was the first book written to the early church chronologically. It doesn't appear that way in the order of the New Testament books, but it was. And we've been seeing the early church had finally been dispersed into the nations to share the gospel, to be a light unto the world as Jesus commanded the church to do, okay? They're finally out there. And then this first book, James what? He gives them an acid test of who's real and who's not. Well, why? Because Satan's got an evil plan. And as we've been seeing, here it is. 
He knows he's lost. His gig is up. He's headed for the lake of fire. But he's so stinking evil, he's seen how many people he could take with him there. And he not only ever since then has been flooding the earth with all kinds of false paths, false teachings, every religion under the sun except for orthodox biblical Christianity, all of them are false, which lead people to hell. He's only done that in the world, in the church. He's trying to flood the church with, what do we read in the New Testament? False teachers, false apostles, false prophets, and what? False brothers that Paul said he was in danger of. What's a false brother? Pseudos autophos, fake Christian, fake brother. So this is a reality in the scripture, right? So why Satan do that? Because if he can flood the church with all these fakers, then when the lost do come in our midst, what do they get? False impression of Christianity, a false Jesus and a false gospel, which means you're gonna go and join him in the lake of fire one day. So here comes James on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He staves that off and he begins to give them an acid test. And the first one he gives us is, all right, how do you do with your trials? And it isn't just, do you make it through your trials? Because again, lost people can do that, right? He specifically says, consider it what? Pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? Can you have joy even in the midst of your trials, right? You should be able to do that if you're a born-again Christian. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. We're followers of Christ, Christians. We should be able to do the same. And then more importantly, we can because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. What's the second one? joy. That's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. And the Bible is clear. When you become a born-again Christian at the moment of salvation, bang, you're indwelt with what? The Holy Spirit of God, which means the ability to, yes, not just have joy in the high times, but even in the challenging times, what? That's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you're a born-again Christian, you got the Spirit, so you should be able to see that joy. It's possible if you're a born-again Christian. So if you never have joy or never have joy in the midst of your challenges, then you only got two biblical options. Number one, you're either a backsliding Christian or a baby Christian, and it's, it's an issue of maturity, okay? Or it's you're not saved. The reason why you have no joy is because you don't have the Spirit of Christ giving you that ability for joy. And Paul says, Romans 8, what'd you say? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. So this is that first acid test. Now, we've been camping in verses two and three for a while, this pure joy, trials, whenever, many kinds, what? The reason why is because these hucksters, I'm convinced, who are behind the pulpit, which many, I'm convinced, aren't even saved, what are they saying? You come to Jesus and you'll have no trials. Consider it pure joy when you wear these cool jackets like Pastor Billy, drive a Cadillac, when you have perfect health. Perfect, that's a lie from the pit of hell, right? But the church is inundated with that false teaching. And so when you're sitting here, you're like, trials? I'm going to have trials as a Christian, and then I can be joy. What? It's a foreign concept. So we've been camping on this, proving that, yes, God's word is true. Those guys are liars, that you really are not just going to go through trials. Heaven comes later. This is not heaven. Okay, but you can have joy in the midst of it is the good news. Now, of course, James gives us one good thing in our text. He gives you what? Perseverance. What do we see that, that meant? It meant you're a complete, mature Christian, not lacking anything. That's fantastic, okay? But that's just the tip of the iceberg. The scripture says that God gives us what? Many trials. And who said it down here? Poikilos. That's right, the brother in blue down here in the front pew. That rhymes. Oh, well, let's move on. All right, uh, Poikilos. We go through many, various, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, many, many different kinds of trials. This angle, that angle, this angle. Why? Because God's doing many, various, poikilos, good reasons for it. And James says, when you look forward to that, consider, think ahead to this good thing. You may not see it now, but when you think ahead of that, okay, and you know experientially, man, it's always that way. God always brings me through a trial, and he's always doing something good with it. Then he says, you're going to have joy, okay? So that's why we've been taking a look outside of not just perseverance, God does all kinds of good things, okay? Many good things, 
in our trials, just like James says. One, to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to others, to teach us that God is God and we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, he says, to make us more joyful, to make us more loving. And if you were here last time, we saw two more reasons, to produce a powerful testimony and to produce a powerful character. Turn to somebody and say, you're a character. Yeah. Hopefully it's more than that. Hopefully you've built character, okay, over time through your challenges. And that's one of the things that we saw there, okay? But poikilos means poikilos for a reason, right, bro? Amen. Amen, that's right. That's right. And it is. Many means many, and that's right. The 11th good reason why God allows trials in the life of the Christian, listen, is to get you steered into a new direction. How many guys had a plan that you thought was a really good plan? And then it seems like the wheels fell off your plan. You went into a ditch. Everything caught fire. And you're, but then given enough time, you're going like, this is a great plan. This is a, how many times did God got to use circumstances, trials to get us steered into a new direction before we go, oh, I guess he knew what he was doing all along. And you know what? If you read the scripture, which I highly recommend, you'll see that, listen, uh, Paul went through the same thing and he wasn't out there, you know, going on the Las Vegas strip and visiting the bars. He was serving God. But God says, you know what, Paul, as good as the plan you got, I got a better one. Watch this. This is what we read here, right? Acts 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been what? Kept by the Holy Spirit from what? Preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, how many guys would say preaching the gospel is a good thing? Praise God, all two of you. The rest of you, I'm glad you're here. Right? No, it's a good thing. We're serving God. We're supposed to do that, right? Well, it's a good thing, but what? what, what? The Spirit of God kept them from that? Why? Well, keep reading. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What? Okay, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Why? Because we concluded that what? God had called us to preach the gospel to them. How many times have we read this and just blow right by it? And you don't even really understand what's going on. Paul and his companions had intentions of preaching the gospel to a certain area. And that's a good thing. There's nothing bad with that. That's not sinful. That's awesome. We're supposed to do that. But what happened here? The spirit of the Lord actually kept them from doing so. Well, why not? Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Well, here's, here's the point. And this is the phrase. As Paul found out later, Even though it was a good idea at the time, listen, it wasn't God's time. And so God steered Paul into the direction he wanted Paul go to with resistance. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that only happened to Paul. How many times have we got to go through this? How many times have we been through this? God allows resistance, trials to come our way, so that we too, like Paul, get steered into an absolutely fantastic direction. How many times do you do that? Now, here's our problem. We say we know that. In fact, we even get specific as Christians. I'm going to put you guys to the test. How many guys would like to know, understand, do and obey God's will for your life? Raise your hand. Praise God, most of you. Okay. But see, that we're Christians. We're supposed to say yes on that, right? Yeah, of course. I want to know God's will. I want to do it. Whatever it is, God use me. <laughs> but guess what? When his plans doesn't line up with your plans, what do we do? We freak out. We freak out, okay? And, 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 and frankly, sometimes we even rebel, right? But here's the problem. We not only go down roads that are harmful for us, but listen, like Paul found out, we miss out on the fruitful ministry that God has designed for us 
by trying to get us into that new direction. So God's God. He loves us. We're his children. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. You know what he does? He sends trials anyway. (laughs) And here's the point. We can learn real fast. We can either follow our own plan, listen, experience nothing but pain, or submit to it. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. He never makes a mistake. He doesn't have a plan B. Aren't you glad he never has to say, oops? He doesn't need to apologize. He always knows what he's doing. He's not on the backside of Pluto going, I wonder what's going on with those guys. He's not waiting for an email from the angels. What is going on? I've got to know. He knows everything. And he knows what is best. Now, here's my point. What was Paul's response to that? Paul's living this life. See, that's recorded for us for the last 2,000 years. He's living it live, but also living it live. What was his response? Paul freaked out. As soon as the spirit of Jesus said, no, you're not going that way. That's it. I quit. I'm not going to serve God anymore. Did he, did he, oh, no, he blamed people. Hey, if it wasn't your fault, we could have been there. And this, that, now you, no, no, it was, it was the devil. It was those demons that gave me that flat tire. That's why I couldn't make it to your what, what was Paul's response? He didn't freak out. He didn't cry. He didn't moan. He didn't blame people or the devil or nothing. When he faced experience, listen, in doing the will of God, sharing the gospel, what do you do? He concluded that, oh, that must simply mean that what? God in his wisdom must have a what? It's not just a different plan, better plan. And he submitted to it, and sure enough, bang, here comes the fruit. My favorite stories of sharing this is, is, and this is a true story, Wallace Johnson, you guys know who he is? He's the guy who uh, built the Holiday Inn Motel lucrative franchise. That's his name, Wallace Johnson. And here's a true story. He said, he said, when I was 40 years old, I worked in a sawmill, and one morning the boss told me, you're fired. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> right? And he says, uh, to be honest with you, I was depressed. This is, but you've got to understand the context. It wasn't just he got fired. He said, I was depressed. I was discouraged. I felt like the whole world was caving in on me. It was during the depression. And it's, you're fired. When everybody's scrambling for anything. I told you stories last week of my family during that time, living in a cook shack until the tornado blew it away. You know, I mean, that's the, so he lost his job. You're fired. And he says, my wife and I, we greatly needed the small wages I'd been earning. So why do only guys do this? So I went home and I told my wife what happened. She said, what are you going to do now? And so he said, I replied, <clears throat> I'm going to mortgage our little home and go into the building business. In the depression. <laughs> that's a guy. But watch this. He said, my first venture was the construction of two small buildings. And within five years, I was a multimillionaire in the midst of the depression. But listen to his response. He said, today, if I could locate that man who fired me, I would sincerely thank him for what he did. He said, at the time, as it happened, I didn't understand why I was fired. But later, though, and that's the issue, isn't it? Later, though, I saw it was God's unerring and wondrous plan to get me into the way of his choosing. Did you know you don't have to wait for the later, though? Did you know you could just take it in stride like Paul? Okay, I don't get it. I understand. I don't have the direction yet. But God, if you're going to interrupt my plan with a different plan, how many times you got to go through it? Don't wait until later when you get it. You need that kind of reality now. It must be a good plan. It must be a better plan. 
and then you can have joy. Isn't that the better way to go? And God's not being a meanie, folks. Sometimes he'll use trials and things of nature, resistance, to get us to see, listen, that trouble is only opportunity in work clothes. Okay? And he'll allow trials to get us steered into a new and better direction to receive a new and better opportunity. And, and again, the problem is when we resist that, and this is the biblical truth, just quoting scripture, man. And we've already been through this. I guarantee each one of us has stories of that. Yeah, I was trying to go here, and then just went up there, but pray. How many guys ever actually, re- actually said this back to God at some point in your walk with Christ? God, thank you for didn't give me, thank you for not giving me what I was hoping for back then. Thank you, God, that I'm not going down that direction anymore, and I really thought that was the way. I mean, yeah. But again, you don't have to wait for that. Don't resist what God is doing. Okay? We resist, we miss out on the grand opportunities that God has. And frankly, we're heading down a destructive road because break that down. When we really resist God's plan and we insist on our plan, you don't just walk around, frankly, dare I say, a not very good advertisement for Jesus because at that state, what are you doing? And then, hey, come to Jesus. He's great. Not a good advertisement. But listen, when we're in that state, what are you really, as if God's deaf and blind? What are you really saying? What are you really doing? What are you really insinuating? That God doesn't know what he's doing. Excuse me? God never makes a mistake. Do you think you know better than God? Who do you think you are, God? See, that's the other aspect of this. It isn't just you resist. Oh, I just... Uh, just didn't really accept it that well. No. Are you acting like God doesn't know what he's doing? Now let's flip it around. Let's go back to Wallace Johnson. What if he insisted? I've got to have my job back at that sawmill. I'm going to tell you, man, and you're going to get it from me, boss. I'm going to be on you like stink on a bug. I'm going to get you, and you're there. I'm never He Now, could he have done that? Could have. He didn't understand it at the time, but when all was said and done, listen, he was not just thankful for the guy that actually fired him. I want to shake your hand. And I'm telling you, folks, you may be experiencing a trial now, and there's many different poikilosh reasons why. Maybe this is one of them. And you're going to see God knows what he's doing. He never makes a mistake. And the trial you're going through now was one of the best things ever. Because it got you steered in a direction that's a billion times better than what you had laid out. It's, it's a daily thing. Every day. It's not just when you go through a trial, God knows what. Every day, no matter what you go through, no matter what you want to label it, good, bad, ugly, up, down, high, well, God's in control. And it's all orchestrated for a good reason. Right? Let me give you this conversation between a Christian and God. This Christian cries out to God and in a tizzy, oh God, what? Yeah, well, why? I, I, I just, I got to ask you something, God. I'm just, I'm not really pleased right now. And God says, well, okay, sure, ask, ask away. So the Christian said, well, God, why did you let so much rotten stuff happen to me today? All in one day, just everything went wrong. God says, what do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And the Christian says, well, I, I woke up late and my, 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 my car took forever to start. And at lunch, they, they made my sandwich wrong and I had to wait and, on, on the way home, my phone went dead just as I picked up a phone call. And then on top of all that, when I got home, I just wanted to soak my feet in the foot massager and relax, and, but it wouldn't work and nothing went right today. Why, God? Why'd you do that? 
And God says, oh, okay, well, let me see. Well, first of all, the death angel was at your bed this morning, and I, I had to send one of the other angels to battle him for your life, and I, I let you sleep through that. Oh. And, and I didn't let your car start because there was a drunk driver on your route that might have hit you if you were on that road. Oh. And, and the first person who made your sandwich today was sick, and, and I didn't want you to catch what they have because I knew you couldn't afford to miss work. Oh. Now getting embarrassed. And your phone went dead because the person that was calling you was going to give a false witness about you, what you said on that phone call, and I didn't even let you talk to them, so you were totally covered. Oh, I see God. Oh, yeah, that foot massager. Yeah, it had a short in it that was going to throw out your power in your house tonight, and I didn't think you wanted to be in the dark. I'm sorry, God. And God says, don't be sorry. Just learn to trust me. In all things, the good and the bad. And don't doubt that my plan for your day, listen, is always better than your plan. How many times do we quote Isaiah? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And then when his way goes different than ours, (laughs) how many times we say, oh, here's some Christianese for you. You know you've arrived as a Christian when you can play this rhyming game. God is good all the time. Except when your plan goes awry and it's this way. No, he doesn't know what he's doing. I know, it makes me laugh too. (laughs) We say that. We even quote scripture. God is good all the time, all the time. What are we doing? Do we even believe the words coming out of our mouth? God knows what he's doing, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not. Oftentimes, our trials as serving as an opportunity to get us steered into a new direction, and it ain't just a new direction. It's always a better direction. Always. I remember that first time when I left my first senior pastorate, and honestly, it was not the best of terms. Serving God, but man, there was just... uh, I'll just use this phrase. Uh, It was, uh, I heard another pastor say this one time. That church just about beat the pastor right out of me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but we were there just teaching the word. Preaching the gospel, reaching that community for Christ. And man, it was ugly. And, And I remember literally sitting on a pile of dirt almost like Job. And I remember reading in the scripture where Paul went through some circumstances and he said this phrase and it just really ministered to my heart. What has happened to me has happened for the advancement of the gospel. And God was doing a great work there at that church, but then he moved me on to New York where he expanded the ministry even more so than what we dreamed. And then now 10 years here in Vegas, and now we're reaching Paul and Africa. It's nuts what's God do. And you know what? I'm not condoning sin. And please don't take this wrong. But if some of those people are still alive, I'd almost want to go shake their hand. Uh, not, not for sin, but wow, God, I didn't see it at the time. But that was your way to, because you know what? If things were going super good there, I would have still probably been there. Not condoning, but I get it now. 
His direction is always better than ours. Don't just say, God's good all the time, all the time. Believe it. Because it's scripture. Now, wouldn't you like to live like that? Well, you can. You know why? Because God allowed a trial for a good reason. But poikilos means poikilos, right, bro? Amen, that's right, on the front row. That's right, the 13th reason is to get you to appreciate fellowship. Because we all know God's trying to torture us by getting us to go to church services, but it's one of those things you got to do as a Christian. Are you kidding me? Uh, hopefully that's not your attitude. Okay, in fact, God says, whatever you do, don't get unplugged from fellowship. Now, I didn't say that. He didn't. We'll expand on that. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he, God, who promises what? Faithful. He doesn't lie. If he promises it, take it to the bank. Not only that, let us also not give up what? Meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, okay? But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, right? Scripture is very clear, folks. One of the things you don't want to do is to give in to the temptation. Ah, ah, no need for me to be there today. And uh, it ain't just because there's a good game going on, you know, all that other stuff. It's just you, you start to get the temptation to, I don't need to be regular in my attendance to church services. You don't want to become one of those religious wackos, do you? Now, I'm not saying this is what this is from God. And the reason why is because, listen, it's not anything to do with man-made legalism, not some dry, stale religious ceremony. It has everything to do with our spiritual well-being. And he tells you one of the things that we gain from gaining together, gathering together. He says, listen, when we meet on a regular basis, we get a regular source of encouragement. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but just like he said, it's going to get worse as the day approaches. And so guess what? We're going to need encouragement. Uh, have you learned it ain't coming from the world? So why would you pull out as the day approaches from the entity that is designed to encourage you in the midst of this wicked world? Why would you do that? And that's what he says, as some are in the habit of doing. Now, you get a little political here. Remember the COVID thing when it first started? And at first, everybody was all freaking out and whatever. And, and there was a few weeks that for sunrise, everybody was just that emotional shock and all, oh, we're going to die. Oh. And then after a couple of weeks, we're going like, you smell that? That smells worse than chicken. It's a rat. Uh, and we've been like, what's going on there, right? And then we're going like, wait a second. The Bible tells us we shouldn't stop meeting together. Uh, and then man's telling us to not. We're going to serve God. Right? And so we, we uh, early, very early, opened our doors back up. And, you know, I actually heard, have heard that there's still churches here in Vegas with their doors closed. You're violating Scripture. Now, let me break this out to you. <gasps> but the government, Romans 13, you're supposed to obey the government. Only up until they ask you to do something contrary to God. Amen. The government right now has laws on the books to murder children, i.e. abortion. Do I support that? The government said it. No. The apostles, the example there is, they were taken in, they're preaching the gospel, sharing Jesus. They go into the authorities, and the authorities say, shut your mouth about Jesus. And what do they say? You tell us whether we obey God or man. And they went out and disobeyed and continued to preach Jesus. Romans 13 is only good until they disagree with God. And God just told us, don't stop meeting together. First Amendment guarantees that. The right to not just free speech and press, but what? Assemble. Because that's a biblical concept. Right? Now, the phrase there, as some are in the habit of doing, 
when we went through that, where I'm going with this is this. When we went through that uh, short little period of window there as a church, I busted into the Greek. You know what that phrase means in the Greek? As some are in the habit of doing? As prescribed by law. It's an eye-opener, isn't it? And so then I went even further. I looked at every occurrence where that occurred in the New Testament, that Greek word. And it's always referring either to Jewish religious law or Roman civil law. And so really the Bible is not just saying, hey, don't stop meeting together. Don't stop meeting together even if it's prescribed by law. Why? Because God's law supersedes man's law. Right? And remember when we went, and we just went through a little tiny window. And then we came back together in obedience to God's word, honoring the Constitution based on biblical principles. But remember when we got back together? And it was just a short time frame. Again, I still can't believe it. after all this time, there's still churches that don't have the doors open. You are hurting the flock by doing that. Not just disobeying God, which is bad enough. But what was the response when we finally got back together? We started meeting together again. Just a short, just a little short break. What was the response? Every single, every, I, I thought it's like, did, did every one of you inherit a cattle ranch or something? I've never seen you guys smile. <laughs> yeah, in a very, just, just a very little break of meeting together and then coming back, everybody is the same response. <gasps> it's so good to give back. And then we begin to what? Encourage one another as we see the day continue to get worse. You see, it has nothing to do with legalism. Oh, by the way, there's another aspect with that. When, when we're saved at the moment of salvation, as we just mentioned earlier, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. As the Bible says, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God who seals us for our day of redemption, which means, praise God, we're getting to heaven. Okay, number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit in us. That's why we said the joy in the midst even of your trials really is possible. If you're a born-again Christian and dwelt with the Spirit of God, he can do that for you. But three, the other thing is, the Spirit, another ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is when he indwells you at the moment of salvation, he gives you what? Gifts. And we all know that the gifts are designed to stay in your house or apartment and ponder them as you stare at the wall. (laughs) This is an amazing gift. I really appreciate it. Thank you, God, for this gift. This gift is the most amazing gift. All right, I got to get to work now. What? The gifts are what? For the edification of the body, the church. But here's the common sense thing. How many times do you hear people say, well, uh, I don't need to go to church services. I worship God in nature. Really? So you're out there with your gift ministering to the squirrels? <laughs> Here, squirrel, you need encouragement. The gifts are for the edification of the body. But here's the point. This is common sense. You would think if you never come to church services on a regular basis, it has nothing to do with legalism. It's understanding who we are. The church ecclesia means a group of called out ones. We're called out of this wicked world system. The church is in a building. It's the body. It's us. We meet in a building, but we gather together to encourage one another and with the gifts now in function. Listen, if you don't meet, then how can the gifts work? And that's, he gave you that for that purpose. If you never attend or hardly ever attend, then listen, how will people benefit from that gift that God supernaturally gave you if you're never around the body? It doesn't work on squirrels or sheetrock walls. <laughs> Or vice versa, in your time of need, because you're going to have a time of need. And that's the beauty of the church, the body. If you're not around the body, then how could people with the gift that you need to be encouraged with, with how could they minister to you? Because you're, you see the danger? 
It's exactly what the enemy wants. Let me give you one more analogy. I, I call it the phrase that I use with these, and of course, it always you got to make it sound like you're really spiritual. Yes, church is so full of apostasy, people, false teachers. That's why I don't go. <laughs> These are all hypocrites. Well, one more ain't going to make a difference. Right? Yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to go amongst them people. I'm not condoning apostasy or false teaching, but come on. But see, that's what the enemy wants. I call them Lone Ranger Christians. You try to spiritualize disobedience to that. And I get it. Now, 15 years ago, people said, uh, I don't go to church services because I can't find them. I'd say you're being lazy. But today, I, I, I think there is a lot of that going on. So that's why you just give up. <laughs> no, no, that's why every week, because you've got to make it sound spiritual while you're all by yourself as a Christian. I go to church all right. It's the Church of St. Mattress. <laughs> With Pastor I.B. Snoozin <laughs> and the Bedside Cheese Assembly. This is what the enemy wants. I remember one time, Brandy, I was in between internships when I was in Bible college. And, uh, you know, so we were church hopping because that's part of my requirement for Bible college. You had to have an internship somewhere. And frankly, even back then, there was a challenge to find at least a halfway decent place, whatever. And then we were going and this week and that. And sometimes you right off the right of the gate, you're going, I ain't going back there. That's why. Sometimes it take, you know, four or five weeks. We, we've been into this route for a while. And then all of a sudden, we got seduced by the Church of St. Mattress. And then you started to justify it. Well, at least I'm watching it on TV. Charles Stanley's pretty good. You know. And then I remember, by God's divine sovereignty, we were watching Charles Stanley. And God used Charles Stanley to say, get your back end out of bed and get in the church service. Okay. Right? But I, I get it. It's very tempting, especially now with the internet, not just TV. Oh, I just watch services online. And, and we offer churches online. But that's just icing on the cake. He said, well, I can't find nothing. Here's my point. If anybody wants you to be a part of a godly body, don't you think it's God? It's a, a no-brainer prayer. So guess what? Don't give up. Don't go to the church of St. Mattress and Pastor Ivy snoozes in the bedside sheets. Silly. You need to drive or move. It's not going to come easy, but drive or move. I can't do it. Why not? Which comes first, right? And the enemy, he wants to get you on your own. Listen, it's just like those nature shows. You ever watch those nature shows? And they always seduce you. They're very seductive. They play with your emotions. Then they drop the bomb on you, right? For like, for instance, who doesn't love a little plump seal, right? Little plump guys, guys, whiskeys out there. I like him because it reminds me of my plump wiener dog, Brewster, with no legs, if he had no legs. And of course, if you got a dog with no legs, you take him for a drag. There you go, that's right. right. If you got a cow with two legs, what do you got? Lean beef. Okay, that's enough of that. I digress. We got to get moving on. <laughs> but they're cute. They look like my wiener dog, except no legs, as crazy as that sounds. But you're there, and he's, he's going. He's doing his little journey by the ocean. And he's eating little fishies. And he's flaying. He's on his he's, little belly. Right? And you're just getting all so emotionally tired. And he goes into water or whatever. And then all of a sudden, here comes a killer whale. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing to me? Now, the reason why I bring that up as an analogy is because that actually happened when I was courting my wife. We were sitting there trying to get to know the family. You know, I was trying to identify. And 
her dad says, hey, watch this nature show. And we got sucked into that. It was a little seal, a family of seals. And we got emotionally attached to those family seals until the killer whale ate them all. And in his mouth, and I'm going. What are you trying to tell me? Is this some future father-in-law technique to make sure I'll treat your daughter right? You're the... I wasn't going to call him a killer whale because you never win with stuff like that. So, but anyway, but, but, or, or here's one, and here's what I'm going through. The enemy always wants you isolated. Go back to, let's go back to Africa where Paul's at, right? There's, there's a herd of gazelle or antelope, right? And they're just happy, all bouncing around, all a bunch of them, right? And there's danger out there, but they ain't worried about it, right? But invariably, once you get emotionally attached, that's what those nature shows do. Once you get emotionally attached, it goes, hey, look at those happy gazelle. They're so happy. And look at them bounce. Wee, wee. Right? And And then one of them makes the mistake to what? Peel off from the herd. And sure enough, what happens? No, I've already watched one up to the seal, not you. And here comes the lion. And they show them. Let's close in prayer. No, but the point is, (laughs) spiritually... That's what the enemy wants. This has nothing to do with Legos. I'm telling you, haven't you been there? You rationalize it. You make it sound spiritual. I'm a lone ranger Christian. That's right. I'm not going to be around those people. Eight weeks later, you feel about as dead as a stump spiritually. There's no accountability. You're going back in the world. You're getting into sin, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because the enemy's got you by the throat. It's like this guy, my favorite story to illustrate. A member of a certain church who had previously been attending services regularly, he stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him, and it was a chilly evening, and the pastor found the man at home alone. He was sitting before this big, huge blazing fire. And so guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed the pastor in, but he led him to this big chair right next to the fireplace, and he just waited. So the pastor made himself comfortable, but he, he, he didn't say a word, and trust me, that's very hard to do. But he didn't say a word. And so in grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames there around the burning logs, and after uh, some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs and he had carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it on one side of the hearth all by itself. And then he just sat back in his chair in complete silence. Well, the host, he's watching this in quiet fascination. And as the one lone ember's flame eventually diminished, there was this momentary glow and then the fire was no more. It was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting, but just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it right back in the middle of the fire and then, bang, instantly it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. And so as the pastor reached the door to leave, the host said, thank you so much for your visit, pastor, and especially for your fiery sermon. I'll be back in church services next Sunday. How many times have you gone through that? See, the church of St. Matthew sounds good for a while. You can even spiritualize it over time. But how many of you guys got burned realizing that's not what God saved me for? God is trying to protect us from spiritual danger. He knows if we isolate ourselves and get distracted by the things of this world, our zeal and our fire for him will start to die out every single time. So he's not being a big meanie. You know what motivates us to get back to church services? Hard times. Because he's just trying to see what he can squeeze us and put us. Because you're getting isolated like that seal or there's antelope and the enemy's trying to chew you alive.
And so before you get too close to the enemy, I'm going to spur you back to the herd so you can flame on again for Jesus Christ and stay protected, especially as you see the day approaching. You get it? All right, let's do one more. The 14th wise reason God allows difficulties is is to get you to build your faith, right? And that's another thing we say as Christians. Hey, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. Well, guess how it comes? Hard times. That's right. I didn't say that. God did, right? Been in uh, 1 Samuel, uh, my own uh, devotions in the morning. And uh, once again, reminded of this great passage here. And again, how many times do we read that or go, oh yeah, I learned that in Sunday school when I was two, right? It's like, no, this is God's word. This really happened. And it's fantastic if you get it, right? And this is the account of David and Goliath, right? 1 Samuel 17. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, choose a man and have him come down to me. Wait a second. Now, what's the context here? Goliath was what? He's a bigum guy in the Southern Hebrew, about nine foot tall. I would like to have him on your basketball team. Just put him under the basket, right? Every time, throw it to Herman, <laughs> right? This is, he really was that big. Now, for the rest of us on the planet, especially those of us wearing this jacket, that's a big guy, right? But listen to, listen to how David responded to that. He says to Saul, oh, oh, and by the way, this wasn't the first time that Goliath went out there and basically taunted Israel. He'd been doing this every day. And the grown men, seasoned warriors, <laughs> freaking out, did nothing. And here comes David now. He says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Now watch what Saul said, right? You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a what? Boy. And he, Goliath, has been a fighting man from his youth. And what did David say? The Lord, that's his focus, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Right? We go, oh, that's great. That was a wonderful story. The kids like that one in Sunday school. You need to learn this as an adult. Right? Against all odds, David, he is, listen, he's not just willing. He is chomping at the bit. I'll get that guy. What guy? Nine foot tall guy. What? And most people believe the translation here, boy, is very accurate. Most theologians believe that David at this time was 12 to 14 years old. What? So here you have a guy with no military experience, no weaponry, whatever, except for a sling, right? 12 to 14 years old. All the grown men are a bunch of chicken livers. They got weapons. He ain't got nothing except for a sling. And he says, I'll take that guy down. That's what's so amazing about this in his context, right? And here's the point. How in the world could such a young boy, David, 12 to 14 years old, have such a great faith, even at that age, so much so that he was willing, chomping at the bit, I'll take him down. Well, what did he say? He gives us the answer. His focus was on God, not his problem. The focus was on the size of his God, Jehovah, not the size of this warrior, Goliath. The giant was no different, he said what? Than the lions and the bears that he fought for many years. Over time. So here's the point. David built a strong faith over the years because what? David had to face many difficulties over the years. You get it? And each one that he made it through, it just what? For David anyway, he responded appropriately. It made his faith in God get what? Bigger. And then he went through this problem, bigger. And then he went through this problem, even bigger. Why? Because you start to see God's track record. Listen, he knows what he's doing. He's bigger than anything. And I'm so glad that that only happened to David. Aren't you? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, poor David. He had to go through that. Are you kidding me? Right? And this is the game we play. It's not like, hey, God's good all the time, all the time. God's good. <laughs> well, it's, it's the Christianese thing, right? Right? 
How many of you guys ever prayed to God, God, give me a David-like faith. God, make me a faithful Christian. God, I just want to have that faith that no matter what comes. I mean, how many of you guys ever prayed that? Yeah, now you're scared to raise your hand, aren't you? Right? Okay, but that's what we say. But listen, here's the problem. We don't want to pay the price to get one. And so we never build the faith we need to faith. Listen, the Goliaths that are coming away. Aren't you glad that it, you don't open the door one day and there literally is a nine-foot-tall guy with armor? <laughs> I want to kill you. Anybody glad about that personally? Besides me? But you know what? You're going to have that kind of size of problems. But the problem is, if we don't get this kind of faith, we're going to get slaughtered by it. So out of mercy, out of love, out of goodness and wisdom, you know what God does? He sends trials your way anyway, right? And we can learn real fast that you could run and hide or blame other people for your Goliaths because it's their fault, or you face them head on, grow in your faith in God and become stronger. It's a choice. Like these two guys, there's a researcher's study, true story, two young boys, and they were both raised in the home of an alcoholic father. Super bad. And as young men, they eventually went their own way. Years later, one had turned out to be exactly like his father, a hopeless alcoholic. But the other had turned out to be an upright citizen who never, ever, ever even touched a drop of liquor. So the first one was asked why he became an alcoholic, and the second one was asked why he never touched a drop of the stuff. And oddly enough, they both gave the exact same identical answer in these words. Well, what do you expect when you had a father like mine? Exact same circumstances, two totally different responses. A David-like faith comes when you battle your Goliaths head on in faith in God that he's bigger than your circumstance rather than blaming the devil, other people, whatever. You live a life like that, you'll never grow an ounce and your faith will be that big. And then the next trial comes and you ain't ready for that one either. Because instead of battling it head on with the faith in God that he's bigger, then you just keep blaming. What's that person? That false and this, this. And you never take ownership. You never whatever. It's always just a blame shift, which means your faith never grows. Do you see it? It actually keeps you in a weakened state. Okay? The facts are we all got troubles and just like those two boys. Listen, we got a choice to make in every single one that comes our way. Which one of the two boys are you? You can either groan because of your problems or you can grow because of your problems. You can get wine <laughs> your problems or you can shine. Trust God because of your problems. You can become bitter. Nothing ever gets my way. And isn't that a wonderful ministry? ever run across a better person and you're going like that was so impactful can we do this again next week could could we do lunch are you free tomorrow said nobody never right and just like the bible warrants be careful that a root of bitterness does not grow up that defiles what many that's what bitter people do oh it's not bad enough that you're bitter you gotta share you can become bitter or you can become better. What makes the difference is hope, and hope only comes when your faith is strong. Listen, your faith only gets strong by facing years of trials again and again and again, and you're reminded, like David, of God's track record. I don't care if it's the size of a lion. I don't care if it's the size of a I don't care if this is the biggest one yet, Goliath. God is still the same. David made it because 
His focus was on God, who was bigger than his problem. Trust him. He never makes a mistake. Let me share with you, this is a missionary story. This is cool. A certain missionary found herself seriously ill where the Lord had stationed her. And then, then to add to her sorrow, uh, her missionary check had not arrived. Okay, and so here she was, just sick as all get out, got no money. She was forced day after day. And again, what's she doing? Just like Paul, uh, just serving God. She's not up there, you know, doing all kinds of carousing, sinful, rotten stuff. She's serving God on the mission field. So her check doesn't arrive. She's seriously ill. And listen, she was forced day after day to go without the good food uh, that she needed. And said, listen, she lived on a miserable diet of oatmeal and canned milk. But in spite of everything, the lady missionary got better. And after 30 days of a steady oatmeal diet, that's all she had, finally her check shows up and she was able to get something different on the table. But during her illness, listen, she thought the Lord was not doing her right. Why, God? How come? Come on, man. I'm serving you. Why, why, why? She finally goes home on a furlough, right? And of course, she tells her trial, oatmeal for 30 days, and this is why. To an eager audience, and watch this. At the close of the meeting, a doctor inquired as to the nature of her ailment. And upon hearing what the digestive malfunction was, he said this, and I quote, well, if your check had arrived, you would certainly not be here talking to me today. You would be dead. You see, the diet we prescribe for that particular fatal illness is a 30-day oatmeal diet. You know, it's almost like God knows what he's doing. It's a theory I've been working on for quite some time. No, it's all over the Bible. I'll say it again. God doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't need a plan B. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't have to say, oops, I didn't see that one coming. It's the angel's fault. I blame them. They didn't send me the email in time to form it. Trust him. If it seems like God's giving you nothing but a yucky bowl of oatmeal for day after day after don't think he's not doing you right. That's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to join him in shaking a fist at God. Give it some time. You're going to find that bowl full of trials was the best thing he could have ever given to you. Trust him. And I keep reiterating this point, guys. Don't wait until afterwards. We call it hindsight 2020. That's not when you need the joy. That's not when you need the peace. That's not when you need the hope, the faith that we're talking about that David had. You don't need it afterwards. That's the easy part. You need it in the midst of it, but you can have it if you just trust him in his character. Aren't you glad that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Right? So listen, if he took care of you that problem, and he took care of this problem, and he took care of all the other 500, 312,000, who's keeping count I am, problems, then here comes another one. Oh, no. He doesn't know what he's doing. No! All problems. He knows what he's doing. It's not the size of your problem. It's the size of your God. He's so powerful. Everything we go through in life is chump change, pales in comparison to how huge and awesome God is. So as we close, let's remind ourselves just how big and awesome God really is. And let's put our so-called even Goliath today in its proper context. Let's take a look at that.
cool. It's too bad that your problem is bigger than that. God, he, he can't handle that one. Oh, no, we're doomed. You know, we really should be like that girl. Just laying there chilling, smiling. No matter what happens. Because inside, outside, up, down, no matter what direction you go, God's there, he's bigger than it all, and he never makes a mistake. What are you worried about? So whether we like it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, sometimes God will use our trials as an opportunity to show us that this is how your faith gets built up high so that you can face the Goliaths that will come your way, any size of them, to keep you from being dragged down. He's building your faith up. He's showing you, even though he should just only have to say it once, I'm faithful to keep my promises. I'll watch. But what's he do? Through trials, he'll show, do you see? I knew what I was doing. Do you see? I knew what I was doing. Do you see? I knew what I was doing. And each time it builds our faith so that nothing can drag us down. Nothing can drag us down and detour us from our walk and service to Christ. Wouldn't you like to have that? Well, you can. And God will produce it in you through trials. Unfortunately, poikilos means poikilos. The 15th reason is to get you to return to him. Good thing Christians never backslide. Ooh. Hey, we're out of time. We'll get to that more than next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? 
Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. 
Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.